Hey there, uh, I am back for a second day. Uh, basically what I'm doing is in the run-up to Atheism for Lent, which starts on the 14th of uh, February, I'm going to give different kind of reflections on the material that we'll be looking at. So yesterday I looked at the first week. Um, we looked at Knight and Squire and um, kind of setting the scene for this journey that many of you will be taking with me. Um, I think we've, we've got uh, three or four hundred people so far. Um, so today I want to look a little bit at the second week, which is really the first week in a sense, because the first few days are kind of setting the scene, reflections that kind of hopefully just help us get in the, the right frame of mind. Uh, whereas the, uh, the, the next week is where we get into some of the, the meat of the subject. And one of the things that I uh, want people to get out of Atheism for Lent, and I've seen this happen, is in a sense to enrich and deepen our understanding of this tiny word, God, um, to, to explore what is going on in the name God, which is something that John Caputo talks about. He doesn't talk so much about God, but he talks about the event that is taking place in the name God the conversations that are taking place in that name. It's almost like uh, the word God is like the TARDIS and Doctor Who. Uh, it's this tiny thing that opens up to this vast and infinite universe. And, uh, you know, if you, you have a cursory glance at philosophy and theology, you see that this tiny word has uh, evoked some of the most beautiful poetry and prose and some of the most sophisticated thinking and critiques. And um, I want to kind of like explore that a little so that uh, if nothing else, by the time people finish Atheism for Lent, there will be a deeper appreciation of this word. Um, and actually, we'll start to see how this word transcends uh, theism and atheism, that actually this word um, has an interesting interplay between theism and atheism within it. Now, at the very beginning of the journey, that will sound strange because, in a sense, atheism is the opposite of God. You know, God is God is a word for the theists, and and you know, only the theists want it. The atheists do want it. You know, but what we'll discover actually is that there's it's a much more interesting um, thing going on, and that the word God. Uh, has a much more complicated relationship with theism and atheism, agnosticism, agnosticism. Um, so, in, but we have to start somewhere. And so where we're going to really start in the, the second week is with the, the popular notion of the word God, right? The simple notion of the word God that we see in daily life that we, you know, the, the, kind, of, the kind of God that people are arguing about um, in high school and on YouTube videos uh, and whatever. And we start there simply because it's a, it's a good place to start. Uh, and in fact, by the second to last week, I want to show how even the simple understanding of God uh, might have something insightful to give us. And, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be thrown out entirely. But we're going to start with the critiques of this simple notion of God as a being that um, is kind of like, a like us. And I've chosen a number of thinkers uh, from various times who I think 
really explore and critique this notion of God in an interesting way. Uh, you know, philosophy itself begins with the critique of the gods and with the authorities. I mean, philosophy in, in, in some ways can be seen as a, it begins when you start to ask questions of what you have previously assumed. When you start to uh, become aware of your awareness, that you start to see that, as Anais Nin says, you know, you see the world not as it is, but as you are. That, in a sense, you know, how you've been given the world tells you a lot about yourself, but also uh, that we often just take our view of the world as correct and as right. And philosophy begins really when you start to bracket that out, you start to question. So uh, we're starting with Epicurus, who, who has this very simple critique of the notion of God as omnipotent and as uh, benevolent. But we're also going to listen to a little bit of Darwin's autobiography, where he talks about his own struggle with the erosion of his confessional religiosity in relation to his work. Uh, I've got a little, uh, I recorded myself doing um, an excerpt from a famous speech by Robert Ingersoll, who was a great 20th century kind of agnostic atheist figure uh, who could pack massive stadiums or halls anyway um, because he was such a brilliant communicator and he would critique religion and he's a very moral, interesting character. So we've got a variety of different things going on in that week. But the one that I'll mention here in this kind of short introduction is uh, actually uh, a guy from the 1600s and early 1700s who wrote the first systematic text on atheism. So this is the first book that systematically puts forward the atheist position. And he's, he's not very well known, uh, and there's probably a reason for that, but uh, he's really interesting because his name is um, uh, Jean Millier, and he was a Catholic priest. And he was a Catholic priest all his life until he died. And after he died, um, it was discovered that he'd written this vast book, which is very meandering and repetitive at times, but also at times beautifully written. Uh, this polemic against theism and also against authorities. He was very, very much against monarchy, aristocracy, hierarchy. He was a priest who was well known to defend his parishioners, to stand up for the, the lowly and the poor, um, to really care for his community. And it is just interesting that, you know, this is, this, he is the one who wrote the first systematic critique. Now, of course, the simple explanation for that uh, the one kind of uh, you'll find some atheists saying is that, well, of course, you know, he, he was on the inside. He saw the hypocrisy of the church. He saw, you know, he read the scriptures and saw the contradictions for himself. So, you know, of course, he, he was in it so much that he kind of was confronted by all of the problems. But um, compelling as that might be in some ways, uh, the truth might be actually more, more interesting and complicated. And, and as you read Testament, uh, you begin to see this because although it, and, you know, he influenced Voltaire and the French Revolution, all of this kind of, like he was, a, he was a, a, an influential figure in France. Um, 
But he, uh, you can see that a lot of his polemic kind of actually comes from his training as a theologian and as a, as a religious figure. That although he has this great critique, um, it's a critique of God, but also primarily it's a critique of um, abuse of power, authority figures who speak in the name of God, uh, powerful figures who, who uh, care nothing for uh, kind of the peasants of the day. Right? So it's a very moral critique. And you, you start to get the impression that actually this, this atheism, even within Jean uh, Millier's work, um, is influenced by his theology and comes from it and is not so much a betrayal of it, but at times a reflection of that theology taken incredibly seriously, taken seriously than, than, than most other people. Now, he doesn't develop it in that way. He's not the greatest thinker in the world or anything like that. But you can see in this you know, 15th century uh, or 17th century, sorry, critique, um, you can see the idea that maybe the atheism is not some enemy of theology, but is intertwined in a more interesting way. So, of course, like after that, you have uh, uh, Feuerbach, who's a philosopher that I've always enjoyed reading, um, who says that uh, anthropology is the secret of theology. And Feuerbach comes in as a materialist who says, I am a friend of the theologians. And he, he read theology deeply and seriously. He wrote a book on Luther. He understood theology better than, than most theologians of his day. And he said, the secret of theology is atheism, is an embrace of the material world, of the, break, the, the, the rejection of authority that we have to bow our knee to. Um, it is about autonomy and about enriching humanity, uh, caring for one another. And that actually when theology is taken seriously, you, 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 you come to this materialist position. Um, uh, Lacan uh, once famously said uh, something to the effect that only priests can really be good atheists. And um, I kind of think that maybe he had Jean Millier in mind when he said this. Now, part of what you can understand uh, from this saying, part of what Lacan is talking about is that, that in a sense, we are very superstitious creatures. Human beings, we, you know, we, we may think we're not superstitious, but you know, we have to touch taps an equal number of times. Or we, we don't believe in anything, but we go to a fortune teller. Or we believe in the invisible hand of the market or we believe that money will make us whole, right? All of these very superstitious kind of notions. And so for Lacan, um, we all tend towards a very religious, superstitious notion of God. Even if we intellectually don't believe in it, uh, we tend to believe in it in our being. There's actually really interesting empirical data that supports this. Um, they find that it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a theist or an atheist. People find it equally difficult to um, pray to God to kill their family um, or to, you know, make something terrible happen to a friend. And uh, what's interesting about the experiments they've done, I, I might reference this actually in Atheism for Lent, but um, 
there's no discernible difference between uh, belief systems that strangely we have this very superstitious aspect to ourselves that we're often not conscious of. And so Lacan is saying it's actually those people who give themselves over to the study of theology and who really explore those notions who can become freed from them, who find rituals of life that can help free them from them as well. So what's interesting is in contrast to kind of new atheism, which kind of sees atheism as an enemy of theology and vice versa, uh, what people like Lacan and Ernst Bloch and and others are saying is that actually um, there is, and you see it in the prophets, uh, you see it in the Hebrew scriptures, there is a very gritty, earthy message in the text about justice, about righteousness, um, about uh, real uh, freedom and liberation for, for people, for real, for real flesh and blood people. And that also for, for someone like Lacan, um, a notion that in order to free yourself from this superstitious notion of God, uh, you kind of, in a sense, need to throw yourself into um, a kind of a theological world. And it's through that that you can find freedom from it. Now, that won't make much sense at this point, uh, but that's part of what we'll discover as atheism for Lent goes on. I'm going to start putting meat on the bones of this and start to try to show why this kind of weird, surreal world that I'm describing um, might actually make a lot of sense. Uh, and, and we'll move into the existential theologians, etc. But I just wanted today to mention Jean Millier because it's, I, I think it's important to bear in mind that this first great, you know, great critique um, came from a lifelong Catholic priest who stayed a Catholic priest till the day he died and who... Um, in a strange way, his theology led him to, to this, this uh, polemic and to this kind of this, this attack against the evil of hierarchy and how God um, plays into that type of hierarchy. All right, I'm going to see if you've got any questions or thoughts or comments, and then I will let you go. Uh, let's see, let's hit refresh. Uh-huh. I'm seeing your comments. A lot of people saying hi. Some people saying about the tour. Yeah, I don't see any questions. I mean, there probably isn't very many questions because I'm just kind of given a very basic outline of something. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to take away anything from this little reflection, um, it's that that even at the very beginning of the systematic development of of atheism, which we, in some respects, we can see in David Hume, who will be another figure we look at. He wrote uh, this Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion, where three figures are discussing the existence of God. And, uh, you know, so with Hume and with Millier and and others, uh, we see that already the critique um, is enmeshed within theology, and actually, we may discover that some theological figures have a more robust and stronger critique of God 
uh, of this idea of God as a being than we find in people like uh, Harris or uh, Lawrence Krauss or, or, or Dawkins, you know, that, that, that these critiques are actually um, said better and more harshly and, and with, with more rigor uh, w- within the theological tradition. Uh, which is which is sometimes a surprise for people the first time they discover it. <laughs> okay, so that's me. Um, tomorrow I'm going to talk about uh, week three, and in week three we're going to then look at the mystics and how the mystics uh, explored the the kind of the dance between theism and atheism, and how people like Anselm and and Eckhart uh, uh, developed a very sophisticated understanding of atheism that still has like importance and resonance today. Okay. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Take care.